This is Megan Chapa of the Travel Agent Interview, and I have sweet Joey in my lap. Good morning. Happy Easter. And Oriah just woke up. Good morning. Good morning. Since the kids were here, I just wanted to give them a chance to say hi because they think being on the podcast is fun. And if the podcast is not fun for the family, then we're going to stop doing it. So just a little happy Easter Monday message from our family to yours. But moving on with the program, this is actually segment two or part two of our rail travel mini series. It was originally going to be one episode, but the content ended up being a lot and it was good. So I didn't want to cut too much out. So this is uh, originally, you know, the second half of last week. And this is going to be with John McGonigal of Go Away Travel. Go away. Uh, he'll introduce himself, but Go away is an option that travel agents like to use a lot for some of these complicated itineraries, especially for rail travel around the world. And John just tells a wonderful tale, and it will have you wanting to bust out your passport and do some rail travel also. Um, as a note of housekeeping, next week I will be at the Las Vegas Travel Agent Forum. I am privileged to be on a panel there. And I look forward to hopefully seeing um, some of you guys there. There'll be at least five or six of our past guests there. Maybe I can get them on the show to say hello and to to find out what they're training on at this event specifically because there are lots of different tracks, lots of different options for travel agents to improve their knowledge and skill set. And if you wanted to know, you know, what's the difference between a travel agent and the search I can do on my own in Google. This is where travel agents get their training at events like this, and this is a very good one. So uh, looking forward to Las Vegas, looking forward to some heat as it is again cold and dreary in Oxford because that's kind of what we do here, but that's okay. And um, yeah, without further delay, this is my interview with John McGonigal of Go Way Travel. For the next segment of our show, I would like to introduce John McGonigal of Go Way. John, welcome to the program. Thanks. John, You would you tell us a little bit about Go Away, and then we'll get into um, maybe your history in the travel industry? Sure. Well, Go Away Travel is a um, 48-year-old company now, um, started in 1970 by Bruce Hodge, uh, who emigrated from Australia. So we're probably, as a company, Go Away uh, Travel, best known as uh, Down Under, for our brochures that have an upside-down Down Under uh, printed on it, which mm-hmm. is a registered trademark of the company. But uh, um, his wife, Claire, and they met while traveling in Europe on a, on a motor coach tour many, many years ago, um, comes from uh, from uh, Southern Africa. Uh, so it was a, a natural sort of uh, growth for both of them uh, into the travel industry. And both uh, uh, their children, Adam and Bronwyn, are very much involved uh, in management of the company today. Uniquely enough, it's one of the only few still privately held uh, companies in North America, meaning not being you know owned by a, a mega sort of chain or a company not associated with travel. Mm-hmm. So it's really what we're, we're all about. Um, uh, majority of our, uh, almost exclusively our business is with the travel trade. Um, and we're here to act as their uh, consultants. So I like to all, often say that uh, consider a potential client, a travel client, as a travel patient. Let's put it sort of medical terminology that the client is the travel patient. You, the retail travel agent, um, are the general practitioner, the GP of travel, and Go Away is the ear, nose, and safari, or ear, nose, and sushi guys, where basically we're all working for the, the customer's best travel prescription. So think of it in those particular terms. So that's, I think, really sort of the best description I can explain about how GoWay works with um, the trade and with clients directly. We're happy to do three-way conference calls, uh, obviously if pre-booked with a, a customer if it's a destination, since we do handle a lot of what we call long-haul exotic destinations, whether it be Africa or Peru or Australia, that uh, maybe a lot of agents personally haven't gone to if, if their niche market has been the Caribbean or cruises or Europe, and then they get a customer asking them something for completely something completely different. So sure. uh, that's where we come in. My own history, um, interestingly enough, I've only ever been on the wholesale side of the business, but uh, uh, have been doing this since basically I fell out of uh, 
uh, college, so about 37 years now. Um, I've had the great fortune of uh, making a living, yay, out of this while traveling traveling to some phenomenal uh, destinations around the world. Africa, I've been to 28 times, the South Pacific, Australia, New Zealand, probably over 20 each, uh, not quite as many to, to South and Southern America, and strangely enough for most Americans, um, especially one in the Northeast of the U.S. based, I haven't spent that much time in Europe. So, uh as I uh, move along and Go Away Now also does Europe after about, only took us 45 years to get Europe right. So um, we're, we're doing Europe now, a very customized travel. That's the other thing about Go Away is that most of what we do is all customized travel, which basically you ask the customer that little bit of information. That's an acronym. What's the budget for the B, interest for the I, and T is time frame. What's that budget, interest, and time frame of any particular client? And that should help you not only with GoWay, but any supplier, wholesaler that you're working with around the world. To kind of get the client to focus a little bit, we all put out fabulous brochures, 450 travel ideas, an independent and escorted. That's a lot of information for a customer in print or online to kind of go through. So we prefer to kind of let's talk about what the client really wants to do. And for us, more, more often than not, like with rail travel, is it an interest of theirs? Is that really sort of the key that acronym budget, uh, the bit, B-I-T, the interest aspect really is the part that we think that helps close any particular sale. Why does someone want to go to Africa? Why do they want to go to Peru? Why do they want to go to England, for that matter? So, you know, depending on what their their slant is on the travel can help a travel advisor really clarify um, what they want to do, what they want to suggest to their client. So that's really about it. Well, I think that one, that's great information on GoAway, and if you are a consumer listening to this um, and, and you have interest in rail travel, uh, you've heard from John, their experience in the industry. So if you are looking for a rail travel in particularly, you could ask your travel professional to, to look into GoAway because it's a trusted, long-term standing company, family-owned, trusted uh, we use them ourselves in our agency, which is why John's on the phone today. So ask for GoAway. And then secondly, that BIT bit of information, um, you know, using a travel professional, they're not all saints, but they should be asking you those questions. And they might skirt around the budget issue because everybody's delicate, but make sure they have it because they'll be able to match you with a better project or product then. Absolutely. And one one final thing, if I can just add in there, Mm -hmm. GOE is a a member, a founding member of USTOA, which is the United States Tour Operators Association. And for any potential clients listening, that means that as a company, we actually put a bond of $1 million up to USTOA um, for our financial uh, benefit or for your financial be- benefit or the agents as well, too. So uh, we're very uh, financially solid, also part of uh, ASTA, the American Society of Tour Operators, and NACTA, and CCRA, and uh, any number of uh, professional travel organizations throughout North America. Boom, from the horse's mouth. Ask for go away. All right, there you are. <laughs> all right, John, let's talk rail because this episode is all about rail travel. Who is right. the typical rail client? Well, Tough question out the out the out the bat. I wish I could give you a standard cut and dried answer for that, but it's really anyone. And many people themselves may not think about, especially North Americans. I know the Canadian market tends to be a little bit more uh, rail savvy. The mm-hmm. U.S. market, unfortunately, with Amtrak uh, yeah. or whether it's the Acela and stuff like that, we tend to think, oh, it's it's uh, so so. Um, you know, it's, it's Philadelphia trans- area, so you know. <laughs> We have problems. And, hey, I think we had this conversation before. I grew up in <laughs> Wilmington, Delaware. So, yeah, I, I, I know. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you, you, we think Americans think of, of trains as transportation. And that's not what rail travel in most cases around the world. Yeah, sure, you can buy a, your rail pass and get around Europe or within the U.K. and stuff like that. It's good, good transportation. In most places, probably better than what somebody's going to find, at least in the U.S. Um, but when we talk rail travel and the type of rail traveler, it really is more um, what do they want to see and how long is it going to take them to get there? The way I look at rail travel, per se, um, you know, looking about people that wouldn't typically consider rail, I think that is the 
typical rail travel is most people don't think about it, but in many cases, as I'll illustrate when we talk about Australian trains or even throughout Europe, it may be the best way to get from point A to point B that's going to be A, more efficient, less expensive than a flight, mm-hmm. certainly less hassle with given, you know, um, check-ins and check-outs yes. and stuff like that and things like that. Um, but it's also in many areas of the world, um, in certain cases where, for example, in Australia or even in Africa, it's a way that a lot of the African or Australian clients, uh, citizens actually travel. So when one's traveling on the GAN or the Indian Pacific um, in Australia, for example, you're traveling with 90% Australians. So if you're on for a length of time or on a train with overnight accommodations and meals, it's a great way to meet the locals because when we all travel, what do we all fall in, in, not fall, but what we all, the trap we fall into is that most of the locals that we meet in, when we travel or in the service industry, they're there to be nice to us yeah. as opposed to maybe having a conversation about local politics, school systems, you know, all the just general sort of things that, you know, we talk to friends and neighbors about as opposed to I'm providing you a service. So I think that's really the, one of the key features about uh, tra- rail travel is that I don't know that anyone's a typical rail travel. I could generally say, yeah, that many people tend to be, you know, 55 to, you know, to 80 or something like that, uh, as far as uh, the demographics for it. But, you know, this type of travel as opposed to transportation, when you're actually slowing down, taking your travel, your vacation at a slower pace is really sort of the type of style of travel that suits, whether it's a rail travel or not, suits someone sort of time frame. Again, it is time sensitive as well, too. I mean, for example, the GAN, uh, the only, uh, uh, excuse me, the Indian Pacific in Australia travels from Sydney all the way over to Perth. Um, that's a pretty big, wide continent, bigger than yeah. North America. So you're talking basically 66 hours straight if you don't get off the train. Yeah. Um, so, you know, basically two and a half, three nights on a train from one end to the next. There are quite a few British clientels that prefer that's the way they travel a lot of the inbound market for australian trains is actually from the uk and europe because they are a little bit more used to travel by train than the north american market but in if we're looking at someone traveling or as a as a client of a travel agent um or guests shall we say that's looking at a two-week vacation only to try to take two three nights on a train to get from point a to point b may not fit someone's itinerary so that typical quote-unquote rail traveler does need to have a little bit of a flexible bit of time to realize that it may be better to um, slow down for example the, the best usage of that is going from sydney over to adelaide which is sort of the central so that's going let's say from east coast U- u.s to you know, Midwest, let's say Chicago to Boston, or let's say Montreal to, um, you know, Winnipeg and uh, Alberta, Canada, something of that nature, where it's pretty much an overnight journey. It is an overnight journey. You actually have a bed, there's a meal, there's meals with actual real china and real silverware, no plastic forks and stuff like that on a train. And you check out of your hotel at, you know, afternoon, early, midday in Sydney, get on the train, enjoy the ride, watch all the traffic in the road, you know, uh, because of rush hour at, you know, five, four mm-hmm. o'clock at night, everywhere in the world, rush Awful. hour traffic. Yes. And the train's still continuing along. You go to bed, you wake up the next morning, have breakfast, and by early afternoon, you're in Adelaide. So what would have been normally the cost of an overnight, plus the flight, plus your transfers, plus moving your baggage to and from, is now much more palatable and much more price efficient, really, to take an overnight journey on a train as opposed to check in, check out, you know, you know, bags, do I pay for my and bags or am I going to get on the flight? And you get to straight to relaxing. That's yeah. it, exactly. So a couple of thoughts on, on this, just things you said were triggering things in my brain. Um, I've been, so everybody wants to do this like vacation like a local. Nobody wants to be a tourist anymore or they want to be a tourist, but they want to experience the local thing. And what has, you know, what has helped with that is doing these Airbnbs or, you know, vacation rental by owner or something like that. But I've been reading articles that vacation rentals by owner are actually, um, like investment companies are 
essentially buying houses to turn them into these vacation rentals. And so it's pushing locals out. So now you're getting less of a local experience because the locals can't afford to live locally anymore. So I, I like to point clients to hotels because they're set up to serve you and to house you in a way that doesn't like harm the local population. Um, so one, I think that the, the idea of being able to travel like the locals and commute like a, like a local would kind of solve that problem for you a little bit if you wanted to have that kind of experience. And then getting to the time restrictions, I bet that just because of vacation time, as Americans have, you know, typically two weeks, unless you move up in your company, then you've got more and more and more time. I bet it's because of time, because younger people are still, you know, working the grind. They only have those two weeks. They probably don't have a ton of time to actually, you know, take the rail travel. But, um, yeah, I see it as very appealing. Like when we, and, and I, when we did the transatlantic across the, across the Atlantic, obviously on the Cunard ship, uh, there was a ton of United Kingdom citizens that the boat and the, and the transatlantic was the experience. And they only stayed in New York for like 24 hours and they flew back or they took the next Queen Mary back because they liked the idea of slow paced travel like that. And I, I couldn't imagine just going and then jumping on an airplane afterwards. I would want to go and stay and experience, but they, it really appealed to them. And there was one gentleman there. It was his 21st transatlantic cruise or something. I mean, they're just. And he has, like, he had friends all over the ship because he'd seen all of them on there before. So we were like the newbies. Um, yeah. Anyway. Well, and it is. I mean, it's, I, well, I would also, you know, uh, call it as we've chatted before about uh, land cruising. It is really what, what you're doing, basically. is yes. It's not unlike what your, your example you gave for the uh, the Atlantic uh, crossing. For example, uh, also thinking of the uh, the UK market per se, one of the big draws in Australia, for example, and the reason you want to take a train instead of just flying to a destination is at certain times, I think it's uh, their spring, so it'll be the uh, North American fall time of, of year because of the Southern Hemisphere, but that's when all the wildflowers are in bloom in Western mm-hmm. Australia. Mm-hmm. So the only way you get to see them is basically on the train coming from Adelaide to Perth or Perth back to, mm-hmm. to the east, um, and that's always been a big draw uh, for a lot of you know people around the world. So it's not necessarily just the train itself, but the fact that you're only going to see the vast expanse of the Australian outback and the wildflowers and bloom in their in their spring season for unless you're on a, on a train. So you've got that amenities. It's a, in most cases, uh, a lot of the, the, the trains that go away offers um, does have the ability of uh, overnight accommodations, great meal service. Mm-hmm. There's various different classes of service that one can buy into. There's also, depending on where you're traveling in Australia, same way in, uh, in Africa or even like in Europe where we can say we sell clients or, or uh, agents for their clients, rail passes um so they can hop on and hop off so if people are traveling let's say only on the east coast of australia between sydney and brisbane or brisbane's on up north to cairns uh there's a couple of different trains that run there and you you can have a rail pass and hop on and hop off so whether you're staying hopefully not an airbnb but maybe even at a uh, a guest house or bed and breakfast which go away does also sell as well too or farmhouses Mm -hmm. which are very popular throughout australia and new zealand uh particularly there is that sort of option for clients to really meet the locals, travel and live like the locals, as opposed to constantly being in hotel, 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 night after night. Yeah, I really, and I I mean, I want to keep on this theme of comparing it to, you know, calling it the land cruise, because even with river cruising, I really like the idea of, you know, you get to enjoy that port city and then you have a nice dinner on the ship that was, you know, cooked perfectly. And then you go to your luxurious quarters and you relax until it's time to go to bed or you stay in the common room, whatever you want to do. And then you wake up in a new exciting place. I really like that idea. Um, So let's continue comparing this, uh, you know, calling it the land cruise or something along those lines. Um, uh, And, but move into topics of uh, friendliness for someone with disabilities and then also for um, families. Yeah. Uh, for disabilities, it, it is limited depending on what the case is. If we're talking, um, 
someone that is restricted to uh, a wheelchair, motorized wheelchair, uh, there may be some issues with that. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, if it's if someone's in a chair and just needs, you know, some help up into a carriage, that's fine. Um, It really kind of depends. And it's one of those things that across the board for all of the worldwide destinations that GoAway offers, uh, we like to have an in-depth conversation with uh, the agent and ideally their customer as well, too, to to make sure that we are providing um, the appropriate travel requirements to meet their their needs. So depending on the train, and it really does depend um, on where in the world, it really depends on if someone is mobile enough to get up out of a wheelchair onto uh, a platform or step up, um, you know, even with a little bit of assistance, whether it's from the train staff or someone, a family member that's traveling with them, that's fine. So people that are traveling, you know, uh, in a cane or occasionally, you know, just as you see at an airport, someone getting on and off, being wheeled off in a wheelchair, that's fine. Mm-hmm. If someone is, is restricted to a uh, wheelchair full-time, that may be an issue uh, depending on the particular train. Now, there are certain destinations, non-train uh, around the world, there's a wonderful operator that we work with, let's say in Botswana, um, that actually has put together a whole safari with a safari uh, lorry, I guess, and put it in more of a English European terms, that actually has um, retractable and riser sort of beds uh, that basically bring the person in the wheelchair up into the overland oh, safari vehicle and off they go. So there are those things around the world. So if you have a listener or an agent that has a client, uh, give us a call on that. We can give the suggestion of where we know for a fact that depending on what that person, how they describe themselves, whether it's their disability or however they want to word that, then we can you know, uh, appropriately offer the, appro- the correct uh, travel experience for them. But in trains in general, it is a bit limited on that because you also also, to some of the train car um, uh, aisleways between the carriages mm-hmm. um, are a little bit limited, and that's also one thing as well too. If you're going from train carriage to train yeah. carriage, it's going to be dangerous. Well, it's not something that basically a lot of wheelchairs are going to fit through. Mm-hmm. So there does have to be some sort of you know access to it. And in all cases, if you're talking a sleeping car, while you can have your meals brought to you, part of the experience, as we just said, is obviously going to meet the people, whether it's in the bar or the observation car or the dining room, then that's part of it. And you're going between moving train carriage and in many cases to, you know, train carriage. So um, there is that sort of uh, aspect to consider as well, too. Same thing for families and that sort of aspect into it. We do find that unless it's uh, you know, the trains in most cases all have um, Wi-Fi. So uh, if, it, if it's a, uh, you know, a teenager or 12 or older, then maybe if it's for younger children, uh, families traveling with younger children, not so much. Um, unless it is, at least I'm talking about the overnight sort of longer haul journeys, if it's more of a hop-on, hop-off or to get from Sydney to Brisbane or uh, different stops within Queensland, Australia, for example, that's fine. Uh, you know, that, that, that sort of rail travel is easily included for, you know, kids looking out a window and, again, the Wi-Fi and, you know, drinks and snacks available for purchase on board, that sort of thing, that works fine. But uh, a lot of the, the long-term, the, the trains that I've kind of looked to focus on for you today um, are really more um, for the, uh, the, the the mature person or the adult um, that, you know, can kind of look after themselves and not necessarily need a lot of energy. Yeah, there, there's no kids clubs on, yeah. <laughs> on any of the big uh, luxury trains. So um, right. anyway, yeah. All right. So let's talk about, so a lot of these trains are, they're like historical trains that have been refurbished to very high standards. Is that correct? Yeah. In many cases, and that's the, the, the three I want to, you know, focus for, um, your audience today is, mm-hmm. is basically in three destinations in Africa and Australia and in Peru. And in, and in Africa, there are a couple of different trains. Most people are familiar with the, the, the term the blue train, mm-hmm. uh, which travels in South Africa, but which we do sell as well, too. And the interesting thing about it, no knock on the blue train, but um, the unique one that we tend to feature or, or suggest first is something called Rovos Rail, mm-hmm. Romantic Rovos Rail, R-O-V-O-S. That's actually named after a gentleman who I've had the pleasure of, of meeting and traveling with, Mr. Rohan 
Voss, V-O-S is his last name, he got a group of investors um, together and they scoured all over Africa and um, Europe and basically bought these old vintage rail cars. There is actually one safari that's called an Edwardian train safari. So if someone ever wanted to feel like they're on the murder, you know, on the Orient Express, not without the murder, thank you, (laughs) um, they they can go on Rovas Rail. Now, the one big thing about the difference is I get a lot of people to ask me, what's the the comparison to to, uh, Orient Express? The big difference a, a lot of times with Orient Express, again, no knock on that, uh, wonderful. It's now part of the Belmont chain, which we work with. And one of the trains I'll talk about, Peru, isn't a Belmont train itself. Um, many of those trains in Europe are shared bathroom facilities. Uh. For Rovas Rail, these are all private bathroom facilities on board. You're talking basically the minimum is sort of a, a Pullman suite, which is um, seven square meters or 76 square feet on up to a deluxe suite, 10 square meters to 118 square feet, or 16 square meters in the Royal Suite. So you actually, it's like having, again, land cruising, it's like having your own cruise cabin. What level of cabin do you want? They're all exterior, and they're all part of a carriage. So you're looking at not both windows because you have obviously have a an aisle on one side of the uh, the train carriage, but looking out on either the the left or right side of the train depending on the uh, the situation of the carriages. So you have your private facilities on board. So it's really these are classic. In some cases, um, they do have a number of steam engines that when on this particular journey between um, Cape Town and Pretoria. Uh, just north of Johannesburg, or vice versa, they actually switch over in Johannesburg to um, the steam engine, and you arrive into Pretoria or leave Pretoria via a steam engine. So for rail bus, you know, whether somebody thought about that or not, oh, I always liked, loved that movie, you know, Murder on the Orient Express, and wouldn't that be cool? Well, yeah, that's a great reason to go and experience the Orient Express or Robos Rail in South Africa, or Southern Africa, I should say. So the difference basically was is that while the blue train initially had done the Cape Town to Johannesburg route in 24 hours, Robos, when they started it, did it in 48 hours. Mm. Originally, when you used to come board the train, here was the blue train, nice train, no knock on it at the time, big kind of noisy engine rattling on one side, typical get on a train from a a train station. Right on the track next to it was Robos Rail that had red carpet, a three-piece string orchestra, Mm. string, you know, uh, uh, players uh, serenading clients as they were boarding with, you know, glasses of champagne and, chocolate-covered strawberries. It was a much different experience, plus the fact that you were taking 48 hours to take the same journey as opposed to 24. A few years down the road, um, Blue Train got the better idea, ooh, we're going to compete along those lines, and we're going to make the journey between Cape Town and and, uh, Johannesburg 48 hours as well, too. So there are some touring options off of both trains, but in the the Rovos Rail, uh, specifically, there's a a stop at uh, what they call the Big Hole, Kimberley, so you can actually go pick out your own diamond if you'd like or see where diamonds predominantly come from in in South Africa, Uh, as well as a wonderful little place called Bloemfontein, which was a a very historical spot during the uh, Boer War. So, of course, you get a lot of sort of European or sort of uh, Brits want to go and and see that as as well, too. So there is a historical aspect not only to the trains, but to the stops along the way. Um, What's included, basically, you have all of your meals, so depending upon the itinerary. And Rovos Rail doesn't just service South Africa does have different dates during the year that go off into uh, Namibia to Tanzania. Mm-hmm. So you can combine sort of a safari pre and post to any journey on robust rail. So really high end. It is the type of thing where you would have people that will dress. I have been on board the train uh, myself. There have people showed up for dinner in tux wow. and long gown and formal wear, which is, you know, something that maybe you only see on certain levels of cruises well, right now. You won't see that obviously. Or on- type thing. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. So it is, uh, you know, it's a higher price point than I think even the Blue Train is, uh, although we do consider the Blue Train one of our VIP products to offer uh, guests. So you can't go wrong in, in either direction. But that's the experience, and, and it's really all about, you know, the journey, looking out the windows, relaxing, then the day trips potentially off it uh, in Kimberley and, and Bloemfontein. Uh, and as I said, the rail cars are impeccably appointed. You will feel like you are staying 
in a very high-end uh, Belmont Hotel, Ritz-Carlton, something of that nature. Mm-hmm. Um, in most cases on uh, Rovas Rail specifically, if you have a particular choice of champagne, Vive Picot, you can order that in advance and it is provided for guests in their in-room mini bar, which they're not paying extra for. So um, there's Mr. some nice Voss, little amenities. Guy. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So uh, he's now in, I believe he's running Belmont Hotels. And um, so uh, he's done uh, quite well for himself uh, in travel and and, and uh, financially, I'm sure. But uh, nice, very nice gentleman. So, and you can do golf. We actually have a, a Rovas golf safari where basically it runs Pretoria to Pretoria. And um, you, once you get into, um, you know, the destination, you can actually go off uh, and have a choice of playing, uh, you know, uh, Sun City or Swaziland or any number of different um, uh, South African high-level, you know, golf mm-hmm. courses. So it's not just for, for someone. It's that interest where, as I started off in the conversation here today on the podcast, where, you know, what's that interest? What does somebody want to do? Oh, yeah, I've always wanted to go to Africa. I want to see the, the wildlife. But, hey, I can see wildlife and I can take this fabulous rail journey. Ooh, I can also stop over and play golf at a fabulous Gary player, you know, Mm -hmm. golf course in Sun City. So there's a lot of different options that, you know, you can tease someone with, I mean, yeah. you know, within, with obviously within that time frame, and obviously what their budget may, may be for the destination. I, I like when I travel somewhere, either golf or food and wine tends to be sort of, you know, the, uh, the aspect and I'm an old rail guy as well too. So, um, I, I enjoy enjoy trains, but and dining. I think um, if there's any questions about dining, yeah, it's there are usually a couple of choices of dining which they'll ask you when you board the train. Mm-hmm. Uh, they'll verify. We always ask in advance if there's any uh, food allergies or if someone's um, has specific dietary needs. The only thing that I ever come across on any of these what I call big trains uh, tends to be for a kosher diet because obviously you're looking at needing a uh, a kosher um, Rabbi, refrigerator at the yeah, very least, yeah, yeah. you know, where, where a cruise line may have that ability. Uh, the space is just not there on, on most um, big trains. So that would really be the only one. But vegan, gluten-free, not really an, an issue uh, for them as long as we know in advance the uh, um, the beautiful uh, uh, chefs will, will make sure that they've got the appropriate uh, food on board for uh, any uh, dietary restriction. Um, the trains usually have a sommelier as well, too, and, and it's always a nice little bit of tasting. And again, you have a couple of different choices in earlier or late dinner seating. Mm-hmm. Breakfast tend and lunches tend to be, um, you know, at a certain time frame, come time. in when you want yeah. to, kind of, yeah, set in, sit, sit down where, where you want. Um, but again, it's nice to be, you know, seated at a, a table potentially, you know, with people from Australia or from Africa or from somewhere else in the world to find out a little bit more about, you know, uh, other people's perspective, not just uh, one's own. Now, can you describe um, common areas that people, you know, when because it is a train, you're, you know, it's probably not, we're talking... We're talking cruising. This is not a huge thing. So maybe we're talking, you know, river cruising. Um, like the width of the ship is quite narrow, but there are places for them to be that's, that's, you know, common and not just their stateroom. Yeah, that's the only thing I would say. It's it's if someone's a little bit claustrophobic um, or very claustrophobic, certainly a, a, a train may not be the journey for for them. And we'll certainly tell you know people that right up front, mm-hmm. uh, simply because the common areas your, your train may be. I'm trying to look at my my room I'm in right now. I mean. 12, 15 feet wide at, at, at that. Yeah. Uh, so it's not a huge width. And obviously the, the, the rail gauge actually can differ around the world. Sure. Interestingly enough, there are, I believe, seven different rail gauges in the continent of Australia itself. So, you know, okay. for rail buffs, that's, that's the destination to kind of go to so you can explore different, you know, with trains and, and gauges, which is that's what the gauge is, how wide the train is, or at least the base of the train operates. Um, but, yeah, so it is kind of close quarters. There are – there is a, a, a lounge car or two where basically there's usually um, a piano player in the evening. There may be a educator of some sorts, uh, one of the, you know, the local sort of guides, the, the, uh, the, tour, the uh, uh, train manager will come on and often give sort of a little little bit of an in-depth uh, um, study or explanation of the, 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 the passage, the countryside that one's traveling through. There's also a, um, 
um, a lounge car or an observation car at the back of every train that does have a bit of a, you know, an opening that typically, as you see, if you ever see any vintage uh, pictures from, you know, uh, politicians either in the U.S. or in the U.K., you know, doing the rail stops at the back of the train, that's basically what it's like. So maybe you can have five, six people out at the back at the very end of the car, you know, I wouldn't say it's necessarily fresh air because obviously you're smelling either diesel or or uh, steam, you know, fumes from from the train. But at least you can step outside. Um, non-smoking, it is non-smoking. There is in some certain cases, certain trains do have maybe a smoking um, parlor, like a cigar that, car that or something. Yeah, like a cigar car that is, is vented out, so you do have that option, or at the back of the train as well, too. So that's the other sort of aspect. It's a great journey if someone wants to give up smoking. <laughs> Go on that 66-hour from, from Perth to Sydney. That'll cure you <laughs> right up. So, um, oh yeah. so, uh, so you do have that as, as, as sort of the, the thing. Um, and if people are wondering about it, it, it moves like a train. I mean, most people say, oh, I don't think I could ever sleep on a train, or a lot of people have said that to me. Well, no, not really. Uh, it really kind of, at least for me, it lulls me to, to sleep. It's almost say, a little like bit like a, like a cruise. You're not, yeah. Exactly. Well, well, hopefully you're not driving, right. but um, <laughs> it, it's uh, unlike a cruise. You're not going to be hit by like sort of a, a rogue wave or have, you know, the up and down of seas. So it's not as bumpy as you'll just have that sort of, you know, clickety clack, clickety clack sort of feeling, which you kind of just get used to and then kind of just lulls you off to a, a nice sort of, you know, snooze uh, to start your, your evening. That sounds as great it to me. Shoot. So what about bumpiness? Is it like, do you, because these are historic cars, like, do they have modern shocks? Is that a thing? Am I making this? Up oh, oh, yeah. Oh, okay. no, 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 no. You're quite, you're quite, quite correct. No, the the chassis are all absolutely modern. Um, what they've basically done is taking these Edwardian and Victorian rail cars and just taking the you know the top of them and basically put putting the whole train on a new chassis. Mm-hmm. So um, you know, yeah, there there's the appropriate shocks and things like that. So you know, you hardly feel it at all. I mean, you know, you're moving sort of in that 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 direction, um, and only if you're needing to back up or come to a particular stop or something like that. Because in certain parts of the the world, whether it's uh, you know, not so much, even not so much really in Africa, but even more over in Australia or Peru. You know, there may be, you know, cattle crossings or oh, huh. look, there's a pack of pack of llama that have just crossed the the railroad. So there may be awesome. a slowdown, and then you know that little bit of hesitation as you you're stopping and starting again. That's awesome. Okay, yeah, I've definitely uh, been on one where we had to stop for some cows. Like there was just an open crossing, and they were hanging out. And what are you going to do? I mean. That's exactly. a lot of hamburger on the front of your train if you're willing to go for it. So. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Or, or you know, it, there's always the fun aspect. You, you know, stop, get the clients off, and see if they can chase the cows off the uh, off the track. So there's there's always that uh, adventure aspect of uh, of rail travel as well. So, awesome. and if I make one of the other um, uh, moving to sort of. Um, Peru. Let me jump ahead yeah, to, to, yeah, to let's, Peru. We'll on just that. start with Peru. The, okay, let's, we're going to go into three the, itineraries. We're going to start with Peru. Go ahead. The um, well, I've already kind of touched on the South African one uh, yep. for you. I hope with the oh, yeah, uh, with the train between um, yeah. And for uh, Peru, it uh, there was a train used to be called the Hiram Bingham that would travel between Cusco to. Um, Puno, which is a city in Peru on the lakes, the banks of Lake Titicaca. Um, And it operated um, daylight hours. It was a fairly long seven, eight hour journey from uh, Cusco to Puno or or back and forth. So um, flying, you could fly it as well, too. But again, it was one of those sort of things where you'd stop in the Andes Mountains. Here's Rather than flying over them and potentially see them if there's no clouds, you know, you'd see the Andes Mountains. But to stop along the way in Andean, little Andean villages, that mm-hmm. and there would be, you know, opportunities to, you know, meet the locals or there'd be a local shop or a couple of, you know, a market that had been set up that you could, you know, barter and buy, you know, Peruvian handmade goods right from the side of the, the train. Um that ran for many, many years, uh, stopped a couple of years ago, and then basically the the line or the train itself was built by bought by Belmond, which okay. is Belmond Orient Express now, and renamed the Belmond Andean Explorer. 
so what that does now basically is it runs between uh, Cusco, uh, Puno, and Arequipa in um, Peru. And you can do it now either as a one-day, two-day, or three-day touring component with a one- or two-night overnight. So if people have gone, let's say, to Peru to see Machu Picchu, Mm -hmm. most people will also go to Cusco, a little interesting fact for many people they may not know. You see all the pictures of of, uh, Huayna Picchu, which is a tall peak at Machu Picchu, and thinking, wow, that's so high. Well, you're actually, your elevation at Cusco is actually higher than where you will be in Machu Picchu. So um, many people experience, obviously, you're at higher elevation, but and you're coming down and then up again into the Andean Mountains as you head over to Lake Titicaca. I, we often suggest to people that if you're looking for other things to do, many people go, well, I want to do Machu Picchu and do the Amazon. No, 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 stay in Peru, go over to Lake Titicaca, because if you have the opportunity to go see the Yoros Islands, U-R-O-S, it's phenomenal. These, there's mm-hmm. a whole culture of Peruvian people that live on floating islands. Oh. They're basically giant reed rafts. I mean, sometimes some of these are the size of football fields that have been made by hand, anchored, um, and there's schools, there's people, they're in typical native dress. They're actually, you could actually see pictures of almost what looked like these, these there are reed boats and almost look like Viking boats wow. sailing in Lake Titicaca, which are made out of reeds. You can take a, I took a trip on one, um, you know, just around the lake, and it's the highest lake in the world. And because of the um, salinity and lack of oxygenation, there is virtually little fish species. It was the one place that Jacques Cousteau said, you know, he thought it was the weirdest place he'd ever dived, dove, because, you know, there just weren't any fish. But it was just so odd because you weren't buoyant, you weren't, you didn't sink, but it was just, uh, but anyway, just to see it from not under the water, but above the water, is a, a fascinating aspect to realize that, ooh, just over the Andean Mountains, and then Lake uh, Titicaca on the other side is Bolivia. So we do get clients that look to consider to go into Bolivia as well, too. But going back to the train, it's a fabulous, exclusive way. And basically everything I said about the uh, robust rail, with the exception of the Edwardian and, and Victorian rail cars, um, it's sort of a mini Orient Express is what's been created now in Peru that mm-hmm. for one night, so you can leave Cusco in the afternoon again, get out, check, have your morning breakfast, check out of the hotel, go uh, check in for the rail journey, have a nice experience, a leisurely experience, dinner, go to sleep, you couple of stop along the way in the Andean mountains, get out, take pictures and all of that, meet the, the locals, buy some local Peruvian hand goods if you'd like, and then wake up the next morning in Puno or vice versa. And then same way if they want to go further for to Arequipa uh, for a two-night journey upon, upon the train. So that's very similar in the style that the meals are included. Um, it's not usually something as a destination into itself, where in many cases people will go on a robust rail journey that may be 14 days across South Af- Southern Africa into Namibia or up into Eastern Africa, Vic Falls, um, which robust rail also services as well, too, You know, for a longer length of time. This is a smaller sort of compact version that if clients are considering going to Machu Picchu or Peru, we do recommend to them to take a look at that because it's a great way to see and then visit and experience the Andean mountains. I actually have clients who just handed me their bucket list and and uh, Machu Picchu is on there. And I was thinking like, uh, I you know, I need to find some other things and uh, you just given me some ideas. So I'll be calling you next year when we work on this. Good. So, all right. Excellent. Great. Well, there is, a, there is a train you have to take to get to Machu Picchu. So there's, oh, you know, tr- and it's a, it's a it's a domed car, so you get to see the, the mountains and the elevation as you're climbing up from um, um, Saki Woman, the, the local village where the train leaves from, takes you up to um, Aguas Caliente, Hot Springs, mm-hmm. um, and there's a train ride. So there is a train ride. So there's a couple of different ways to do, quote, unquote, the Inca Trail. The easy one that I took was taking the train all the way up. Uh, you can take the train partway and then climb, you know, hike the Inca Trail or take the Inca Trail full hike for a week if clients are so interested in that. Mm-hmm. But there is a train component of that uh, as well, too. So it's a nice part about what I, I like about uh, Peru and, and rail travel that you've got this, ooh, there's a little, I didn't know I was going on a train to get from point A to point B. But again, you know, not necessarily the same category as the Belmont, but very, you know, clean, comfortable. You're only talking maybe, you know, a couple of hours ride with lunch as opposed to, uh, an overnight sort of journey. 
Okay. Anything else you want to talk about Peru and rail travel in Peru? No, that's, I think that's really sort of the highlight for me as far as the, uh, the cream of the cream. I've kind of focused on, you know, really more the luxury sort of side of things as opposed yep. to transportation, just to kind yep, of show the, the distinct differences on that. Uh, there's, as I said, there's always different levels of accommodation within board the train. So depending on, on one's travel budget, overall, we can, you know, craft a uh, appropriate rail journey for them. And then finally, I wanted to bring up to you Australia. Yes. Um, I used to work for the train system in Australia, Rail Australia, uh, which is the GAN, the Indian Pacific, um, the Queenslander, um, and a number of different trains in and around New South Wales, CountryLink, um, but specifically the big trains, as we used to call them, um, being the uh, Indian Pacific, which I've already mentioned, going from Sydney to Adelaide to Perth, or the GAN, uh, from Adelaide going north-south to uh, the Outback and right in the Red Center to uh, Alice Springs, Ayers Rock, and then further up north to Darwin. In, 19, in excuse me, 2004, another little piece of trivia for your audience, Excellent. Australia became the, only, became the only country and country in the world and continent in the world with contiguous rail service, not only just east to west, but north to south. Interesting. So, Interesting, again, for, you know, someone, if they call themselves a rail buff, um, you know, whether they've done Rocky Mountaineers somewhere or have gone Orient Express or any of the number of wonderful trains in Europe, this is a great destination just for that. And, again, it doesn't have to be your entire trip. It can only be partial or half the journey. So the difference with um, the trains in Australia is that you've got a number of variety of ways to uh, – um, to see it. They, there is a gold service that is more comparable to uh, the Belmont or even to Rovas Rail. It may not be quite as luxurious room appointments and things like that. You're not getting the, the, the mini bar stock with, you know, your best finest champagne mm-hmm. type of thing. Um, but it is available for you um, in um, the dining cars and in the lounge cars. So, so it has the same sort of feeling where you're traveling from point A to point B to make the journey much more palatable, but you have a, a gold service. You also have a platinum service, which is a, um, a higher level of accommodation on board the trains themselves. And again, this is both the GAN, North and South, and um, the Indian Pacific, East to West in Australia. Um, there is, for those that are those interested, there is a red service that is um, uh has been available that is more of a hop on hop off. So we've got, uh, and that's where a lot of the locals sort of travel and you do have separate lounge and dining facilities for gold and platinum versus, um, Steerage may not be the right word, but there is that sort of component on, on board of uh, the train as well. So somebody, I mean, it's like sleeping on Amtrak. If you're traveling, you know, from D.C. to Miami overnight in a, in a, tra- in a train seat as opposed to a, a berth, there is that ability on uh, the trains in Australia. So depending on, again, one's, one's budget and what they're looking to, to do, uh, they have that. But uh, to me, Australia, um, it's, a journey to Australia is not completely unless you're on a train, because the ability, as we said earlier, to, to meet and talk with the locals, to have that feeling that I'm traveling like a local, even though, yeah, I'm sleeping in a comfy bed at night, um, I've got, you know, these wonderful meals, or I've got the platinum service where, you know, I've got a, uh, you know, uh, a, a, a butler coming to service my, my, my cabin, my needs, I can have my meals brought to my, my room if I'm not feeling that, uh, um, you know, uh, feeling like roses today type of thing, mm-hmm. then you know, you've got that sort of option there as well, too. But it's it's meeting the people, really, that kind of brings a, brings it all out and find out a little bit more about um, the countryside and the history and the people of the destination rather than just going to see an icon, going to see a monument or stay in a fancy hotel. So for me, uh, a lot of journeys around the world really are best served as um, part of a rail component. Yeah, and I like the idea of being able to observe, whereas when you're driving or when you're flying, you when you're driving, you have to follow directions, and when you're flying, you're just too high to see what's happening on the ground. So I really like the slow and, like, observatory kind of feature. Absolutely. I totally agree. I mean, and personally, I mean, I'm usually the one that does most of the driving, so I never get to kind of see anything, or if I do start sightseeing, I get yelled at, hey, watch the road, you know, type of thing. Um, but, oh, yeah, that's right. Um, 
So it, it's, it's a nice sort of break. I mean, but you can do both. Again, you know, we've had people that have taken the train from, you know, Adelaide to Sydney and then, you know, a train from Sydney on up to Brisbane and then do a car hire to do their own, you know, sort of thing as well, too. So you can combine whatever you like to do, but just take a take a break, depending, again, what your time frame with that that little bit of information, the budget, interest and time frame for wherever one may want to travel. Well, this is good stuff, John. This is really good information. Um, I think that's the, you know, that's kind of the end of the formal uh, format that I have, but I don't want to close it out without giving you an opportunity to include anything else you might want to include about yourself, go away, general, tomfoolery, whatever you have. <laughs> um, I wish I'd known about tomfoolery. I would have, uh, I, w- I would have, I would have brought him on the podcast with us today. No, I'm, uh, um, GOE also does, uh, we like to do a lot of different, uh, um, super values as we call them, um, for our destinations around the world. So, uh, for agents and for uh, consumers as well, too, that may be listening, look out for those. Uh, again, and just hearkening back to don't assume that just because you find something online that it's going to operate. Uh, on the days that you ideally wanted and for the price that it's being advertised, uh, there's a reason that there is a from price listed on most websites and, and brochures and things like that. So it really comes down more to, you know, finding the best deal. So you can always go to goway.com. Uh, to find out um, our super values, our super specials. Um, basically, there's tabs on the top of the uh, the, uh, the web page to uh, take you to different destinations, styles of travel. There's a whole section on rail travel there. So if this uh, has been of interest to you, you can go to the goaway.com site and see the uh, lookup for rail travel. There's a search bar. You can just type something in, and a number of um, options will come up to you from, from that point. But our super specials are, are some great deals. We've had one now even – Speaking about Australia, mm-hmm. uh, doesn't include it doesn't include rail because a lot of the super specials or super values are are time sensitive as we talked about. Yeah. Uh, Eleven days with air from Los Angeles, uh, so that's eight nights in the hotel, good quality three three and a half star hotel, um, and airfare on Qantas um, from L A. Uh, eighteen eighty nine U.S. So about nineteen hundred dollars oh, U.S. That's for, a good deal. That's and mo- that's a great deal. That's the spring. So there's some April and May dates, and then in the fall, September, October, which in Australia is sort of you know um, spring and their spring and fall is the opposite, being southern hemisphere. But a great time to travel. And I guess my last sort of tip for agents and travelers as well too: best deals you're going to find spring and fall, whether it's our spring and Someone else's fall doesn't matter. Really, that that sort of off season uh, is the best time to get your best deals to travel somewhere. Summer months tend to be very busy. Um, you know, certainly in Europe, certainly in the South Pacific, going to Tahiti or the Caribbean and things like that. Mm-hmm. But uh, um, and again, uh, you know, really check out GoAway.com. We can uh, help you get an idea. And same way, you can chat with us, agents. You can chat with us via that site as well too, or pick up the phone and. Go see your uh, go away uh, uh, local business development manager or myself. Yep, and uh, the earlier segment that we did, Adam Weiler, he he's a real expert for us, and he uh, is familiar with your products. And if anybody has interest, you're welcome to contact him too, and he'll he'll take good care of you. So great, John. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Look forward to maybe uh, talking some other go away products in the future. And um, hope so. Yeah, thanks so much for being here, and until next time, this is Megan Chapa of the Travel Agent Interview saying good night.